So we're looking at this series, um, Down and Out. The idea that Jesus came down to earth and then encourages us to go out. And uh, we're looking at accounts here of Jesus, how he interacted with people and what can we learn from that. And we're in John 3. So if you've got a Bible and you want to uh, follow, we're in John 3. Mary's bringing Bibles round. Just to say, do pray. Um, Steve and Mary have uh, got relationship with um, some Syrian families, refugees that have come to rugby. And our life group is hosting uh, a lunch and a party this afternoon for eight Syrian families. There's over 30 Syrians coming. We're going to share, just do some games. And um, Steve's going to just give a little short word. So just pray for us as we do that. Great opportunities. So this is John 3 and a guy called Nicodemus. And uh, it says this at the start of John 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus had been in Jerusalem, miraculous signs performed, teaching, overturned the tables there at the start of John's gospel. And then Nicodemus comes and kind of recognises that. Um, does anyone know what pop band that is? Dave, call it. It's the Old Seekers, Jeff. Well done. Do you remember the Old Seekers, Jeff, or the New Seekers? You remember both, Jeff. Okay. Uh, for the young among us, that's what pop groups used to look like. Okay. Just slightly awkward. Not quite sure. So that is the Seekers. Well, Nicodemus was a committed seeker. Okay. Nicodemus was a committed seeker. Um, We see him later in John's gospel, following up on these conversations and kind of following through on who was Jesus, asking these questions. He comes at night here and some have made that, you know, that's about he might be hiding. He was a Pharisee. He had a lot to lose by coming to Jesus, actually. But his search was genuine. I think we see folks out there in society who would maybe call themselves seekers, but would certainly call themselves kind of open. They're investigating, they're asking questions, they're open. And they may take some pride in that. They may, sometimes we get the accusation that Christians, well, they're narrow-minded because you only believe this. But I want to put a challenge to that slightly in that I think some of these folks who would say they're open, maybe they're investigating a bit of new age here and a bit of religion there. And I was, we were talking about Chris Martin, lead singer of Coldplay and the new Coldplay. Hey, I'm down with middle-aged bands. <laughs> uh, so Coldplay just brought out a new album and somebody said it's a very spiritual album. You know, it kind of elucidates different worldviews and all of that. It looks like Chris Martin is kind of looking and investigating, as a lot of artists are, actually. They're very spiritual people. But I I think sometimes folks can be saying they're open and seeking, but actually be closed. What do I mean by that? Well, they're happy to explore possibilities. But if you said to them, so do you think you could find the truth? And would you commit to it if you did? They might be a bit reticent about that, because that feels narrow-minded. Well, in which case, that's a closed search because you're saying we're never going to find the truth. You can't actually find the truth. I like looking, but I'm never actually going to find it. Or maybe they understand there's a cost in finding the truth. You see, if you find the truth, it demands a response. You can't, if you come across what is reality, truth, it demands a response. You have to live in the light of that. 
But if folks are kind of just searching but never landing on anything, they might be like these folks that Paul had in mind. It says about in the last days there'll be people who are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. If ever there was a society and culture that is always learning, has more and more information, it's us. But are we, are we coming to the truth? Are we coming to reality? Are we coming to wisdom about life? So, if there is objective truth or reality, and it can be discovered, we have to live in the light of this. And there does have to be an objective truth. There does have to be an objective reality. There has to be a real reality. You see, reality cannot be personal. It's no good me seeing, I see reality like this. You are all in my dream. And you going, no, we're not. Well, we can't both be true. Both of those cannot be real. There has to be an objective reality. Reality cannot be personal. And the thing is this, we will all find out the truth one day. One day we will find out the truth. Either death is the end, in which case all the atheists will go, yes, we told you. No, they won't. No, they won't. They won't. Because that'll be it, won't it? That's the edge of the cliff and we finish there. Or we'll come before the God of the Bible or Allah or we'll be at one with the universe or we'll meet realize aliens started it all off or something one day we will discover the truth and so there's a lot at stake about this there's a lot at stake there this is a big deal what is truth seeking truth is a big deal and the question is then are we ready for that day are we ready for that day Because it's coming, sure as eggs is eggs, we will discover the truth or disappear disappear into oblivion. And just on that basis alone, I think, just on the basis that I think Christianity is a worldview that at least offers hope. It claims to be true. It offers hope. It offers forgiveness. I think that's a really good place to start. I think that's a better place to start than atheism that says there is no God and you are not significant. I know, you th- I know we think we are, but we're not. In the grand scheme of things, we're not. We have no inherent meaning or purpose. I think Christianity is a much better place to start investigating than over here, where the worldview is inherently pessimistic, if I can put it like that. So are we ready? Well, the Bible tells us we can be ready and we can know truth. G- uh, John wrote to a church Uh, And he says this, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. And there's wonderful consequences to knowing the truth. It's not just we discover the truth and that's it. But Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth won't just exist. It will set you free. You see, the worldview of Christianity, I'm not going to say too much about this, but the worldview of Christianity is this, that God has put reality, truth in the universe, a way of living. And if we line up with how he set the universe up, live according to his teachings, as Jesus says there, we will live wisely. 
And that wisdom will bring health and life and harmony, and you'll be free. So you can know the truth, but not live that way, not obey it. So you need to obey the truth to live that way. And again, don't we live in a society that has so much information, and I think so little wisdom. I am astounded by the number of people I come across, young adults with mental health issues. I'm astounded. It's, it's everywhere. We've got uh, uh, our daughters at university and all over the place. He's coming across students, not coming back, not finishing their courses. So much learning going on. I mean, in education. And we set up an education system that puts so much pressure on young people and is, in that respect, so unwise. Kids are cracking up all over the place. Well, let's do something about that. So that that learning, that information is not setting them free because it's truth and wisdom that sets us free. And they're different. And they're different. Okay. So the Bible tells us we can be set free and that truth is in a person. Have you never heard this before? There was a time I'd never heard this. And then I heard it. I'm like, wow. Jesus answered. He says elsewhere in John's Gospel, "I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We experience truth in relationship with Jesus and his Father. So we experience truth. It's why why you can't take a Christian's faith away from them, because they've experienced something. How many of us have experienced something? We're not here just to learn. Hey, listen, this is a pretty rubbish talk if all you're here to do is learn facts and information. But we might encounter God. We might hear from God. God may say something through some dumb preacher up the front here. God may speak. Something may happen. We experience truth and it brings us alive. Okay, and Nicodemus was committed to this search. So how does Jesus respond to this seeker who comes to him? Well, he presents him with a high invitation and a high challenge. Okay, I'm just going to try and explain this. Hopefully you follow it. It's not too clever. So Jesus, when he encountered people, I think he presented to them high invitation. He invited them into something good. Jesus invites us into something good. He invites us into a discipleship where good things are on offer, if you like. But he also challenges. And there's a high challenge discipleship. We're called to a high challenge discipleship as well. And I wonder, as we go through this, where on the grid do you think you are? What does your following Jesus look like? What does your discipleship look like? Because what your discipleship looks like will reflect what you've heard from Jesus, what you understand of the gospel. So if we're down in the bottom left-hand corner, so there's across, uh, if my maths O-level serves me right, the vertical axis is high invitation down to low invitation. The horizontal axis axis is high challenge to low challenge. So if our discipleship, if we think is low invitation, we've not been invited into much, and it's low challenge, well, our discipleship, our Christianity, your faith is going to be pretty boring because you don't think it's worth much. You're not being invited into much, and there's not much going on, really, and it's probably dying. There are churches that present that. God forbid. God, keep us from that. What about if our... If we, what we've heard from Jesus is high challenge, 
but not, he's not inviting us in too much. Well, our Christianity is likely to be a bit slavish or legalistic because what we think is that Jesus asks and presents us with lots of rules. But there's not much else going on. Lots of rules. And probably we think we've got to do a lot for him. So let me ask you, have you been a bit burnt out? Are you a bit weary? Now, there could be all sorts of reasons for that, but it may be you've not heard an invitation. You've not seen that. If, however, the invitation is high, but the challenge is low, we will get fickle disciples who won't take responsibility for their lives, who think that the world centres around me. As the song goes, I am at the centre of it all. Sing with me, brothers and sisters in the church. I am at the centre of We could sing that. We could sing that. Why? Because actually we can get caught up believing we are at the centre and God exists to focus on us and make it work out for us. The problem with that, so high invitation, really high invitation. God's going to bless us. He's going to be good to us. The problem is this. What happens when it doesn't feel like blessing? What happens when things start to go wrong? and God doesn't like me and he's not looking after me. I know Christians who have sulked for decades. Seriously. Where we've just logged, we've logged jammed somewhere. We've got stuck somewhere. God didn't come through for us. That didn't happen. And listen, I know it can be tragedies and heartbreak and all of that. I get that. But God's got a way through because the truth will set you free. He wants you to be free of that place. We had a testimony a couple of weeks back from a young lady at the front here, lost her husband. And she's saying, but God is still good and he's still faithful and all of this is for the glory of God. Right there. We could just put that sermon on repeat, I tell you. Because when we've seen God is good, we just sung it, and he invites us into good things, but he is going to challenge us. That will produce committed, robust, actually not even disciples, sons and daughters that will commit to our father because we love him. He's good. He's a good, good father. So... Where are you on that grid? Well, let's look then at the two components in a bit more detail. High invitation. What I'm saying is in John 3, I think we see high invitation and high challenge. John 3, 16 to 21 says this. So this is the high invitation. High invitation first. I won't spend as much on this because I think we get this bit. I think we get this and I think we present it to people well. I think we communicate a gospel along these lines. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, says either John or Jesus. But he's not quite sure whether Jesus is speaking here or whether John's kind of teaching on the back of what Jesus says. It's not essential to know that, but it's interesting. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. John picks up that on that at the start of his gospel, light. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light 
so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So what does Jesus offer Nicodemus here? And, and what is, how is that a model to us? What do we have to offer, if you like? Well, firstly, he offers love. Love. The most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world. Just to say, the word so there does not mean God so loved the world. He like so loved the world, totally. He like totally loved it. Don't know why I'm doing that. It doesn't mean so, it means in this way. Well, in what way? Well, in the way that he gave his son. God gave his son. It wasn't some mushy, gooey love. He was committed. He committed to us as a race, as the human race. He was willing to give his son in vulnerability. And Christ walked this earth in vulnerability from the manger to the cross. He was vulnerable throughout that. That's how much God loved the world. He gave his son in that way. There was love. Secondly, what else is in the invitation? Love and life. This passage, it talks about whoever believes has eternal life. Don't you want some life? Don't you want to know what real life is? Real energizing, peppy, spring in your steps, genuine smile on your face. Life. Don't you want to experience that? I want to experience that. I want to experience more of that. I want this Holy Spirit's life in me. And that life begins now and is for eternity. It's a quality of life now, but it lasts for eternity as well. You see, we're not called to spiritual death. This passage, we just read it. It says Jesus did not come to condemn. We're under a death sentence. Outside of Christ, we're under a death sentence. God can't receive us into his heaven. We need to do something about that. But he doesn't want to condemn us. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Christianity is not a condemning religion. It's a religion that calls people into life and love. And finally, light. Light has come into the world, it says. Out of darkness. We're to come out of darkness into clarity and vision and truth. And we don't need to fear the light. We don't need to have our deeds exposed in the light. Because he didn't come to condemn us. It's one of our hindrances, never mind people who aren't Christians, as Christians that we, we turn up week by week fake. Never mind fake news. We live as Christians too much. Fake Christians, what do I mean? Well, we know we've got stuff. And we're just so reticent to let it be exposed to one another. And we need to get to that place where we don't fear the light because there's no condemnation. So we need to become honest Christians in the light. Well, so far, so good. So far, so good. Because there's light and there's love and there's life and and that's high invitation. But if we only present a gospel of high invitation alone, the danger is, as I say, that we will produce fickle Christians who, when the going gets tough, quit. Do a runner. And we see this, I see this as a pastor. And I say to people, if in this situation you can let Jesus be your ground zero, that that's the place you reach, you have hope. 
If, however, your faith doesn't do that, it doesn't take you to that place. If you're trying to sort it out yourself, it's not a way through. And we see that. Christians who, when the tests come, and they will, our faith doesn't stand up. Because we've just got a high invitation faith. And we think God exists to bless us. We are maybe Christmas Christians rather than Easter Christians. I think there's something that to it. Hey, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. And I love the fact, I'm really encouraged by the fact that at Beck, our most populated service in the year is Christmas Day. Because that says to me that we're wanting, as a church, we're wanting that in the midst of the eating and the presence and the Queen's speech, yeah? God bless Her Majesty. Probably the best evangelistic talk of the year. Year on year now. Brilliant. Pray for that one. Awesome. Okay. But in the midst of all that, we know what's really important. And we want to come and worship on that day. There's something about it. I'm really encouraged by that. But you see, Christmas is all about receiving. We received Christ. We received presence. Easter involves a cost. It says there's some junk in us that needs dealing with, and Jesus needed to die on a cross to deal with it. And therefore, there's a cost we need to pay in the light of that, to submit to his lordship, to deal, go on dealing with that stuff. So there's a cost to Easter. And maybe too many of us are Christmas Christians. So there's high invitations. Secondly, then, there's high challenge. There has to be high challenge. We owe it to folks to bring the challenge of the gospel. And if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I owe it to you. We owe it to you to just know what you're getting yourself into. Don't sign up to this lightly. What we win people with, we win them to. And if we win them with a superficial gospel, that's what we win them to. And their Christianity will reflect that. So let's win them with the full gospel. And I think Jesus presents the full gospel. We're not passengers. We're not an audience who are bored and the job is to entertain us. This is not entertainment. The contract between us as a staff and leadership, and let me tell you, there's one or two staff members I know that are getting a bit serious about this, that we need robust disciples. So we need, this can't be entertainment. The contract we've signed up to is mature discipleship. All those in favour, say aye. Aye. Right. I heard you. Okay? So there's no doing a runner when you don't like what's going on and it doesn't please you and they don't sing the songs I like and the sermon went on a bit long. We're family. We committed to one another. You just said it. So that's what we're signed up for. We're not fickle. We're, we're about serious business. Okay. You see, this is what happens in this passage. Look at what Jesus does here. So Nicodemus comes. This is going back to the start of the passage. Nicodemus comes. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. He doesn't ask a question. Jesus just comes left field with quite difficult statements. I mean, they're hard enough to understand, let alone if you kind of understand them, the consequences, the cost. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So what's the challenge here? Firstly, to go deep. The first challenge Jesus brings is to go deep. Nicodemus comes to him and says, Jesus, I think you're great. Great miracles, Jesus. If that were me, or possibly you, you know, if someone comes to us and they start giving us compliments, inside there's a bit kind of, go on, tell me a bit more. Just, just keep unpacking that one. That's really good. Yeah. Oh, feed me. Minister to my soul. Well, Jesus doesn't. He, he doesn't even listen to that. He goes right to the heart. He gets where Nicodemus is at. He goes right to the heart of his concerns, like all the Pharisees, of the kingdom. He says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. The Pharisees wanted to know, when's the kingdom coming into Israel? He actually makes it quite difficult for Nicodemus. He speaks in this, this kind of theological talk that was quite difficult to understand. He cuts through polite etiquette. What he's doing here is this. He's trying to say, Nicodemus, where are you really at? In the midst of religious superficiality and tradition, where's your heart? God sees your heart, brother, sister. And he's asking you, where are you? Come on, where are you at? And I want to say to you, let's, listen, we've just not got enough time to mess about with Christianity. This has got to be meaningful. So where are we at? We've got to start telling one another where we are really at, what's really going on, that we can come into wholeness and strength and healing. God knows, and that's what his spirit, God will go for it. He will go for your heart. He wants to uncover where you're really at. The heart is the wellspring of life. And God wants to minister healing and wholeness to your heart. And you know, every one of us has a story. There's stuff going on in every one of us. I see this everywhere. You've only got to scratch the surface to see there's a story here. There's things that have shaped you and I. There's deep stuff. There's pains. There's hurts. There's joys. And that needs to come out more. We need to hear one another's stories. We need to help one another work through whatever's held us back. This gospel is too important to keep it to niceties. Jesus has said, or John said, that outside of Christ, we stand condemned. But God came to save the world, not condemn it. This, isn't, this invitation isn't just a bit of paper. This invitation is life and death, potentially. This invitation is salvation, not condemnation. I want us to feel by the Holy Spirit, the responsibility to be a, an inviting people. As Roy has taught us, the invitation is the success. Your job is not to get people along to hear the gospel. And I don't want people just to come to a nice carol service. I want them to come and hear words of life, that they will not stand condemned, that they will know eternal life, that lives will be transformed. So this is powerful. 
This is powerful. Who knows what God may do? Lord, I just pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint these invitations. I want to pray for brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. May I not let myself off the hook? May we invite people. And may, um, and Lord, may people come. Hallelujah. And may they hear words of life over this season and week by week. Okay, let's crack on. So he goes deep. Secondly, he puts the challenge. You've got to start over. All this stuff about being born again and born of water and the spirit. Essentially, and there's a lot of theological depth to John 3 that we just haven't got time to go into. And that's not just me getting myself off the hook. But he says, what's gone before won't cut it. You need a new start. You effectively need a new birth. I think this is tied up, this water and the spirit, with Ezekiel 36, where God promises for Israel a new birth, new life. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Jesus says, you need to be born of water. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. And I think this is what Jesus means when he's talking about you'll be born of water and the spirit. I don't think it's necessarily per se, although this is involved in the new birth, speaking of baptism and filling with the spirit, although they're involved in the new birth. I think Jesus is just saying here, everything has to change. You need, you need a new birth. You need a completely new start. Everything you've done, Nicodemus, all your faith, you're an old guy, you've been around the block a few times, but you need new learning. Everything needs to change. You need to be born again. Let me ask you, do you know you're born again? Or have you just been religious? Or do you know you've been born again? Do you know God's spirit is in you? Do you know you've been cleansed? Does it feel like to you you've had your junk and your stuff dealt with and you don't carry that anymore? I've not been on my best behaviour this weekend at home. Let me just tell you, I won't, uh, don't bother asking Ali what happened, but let me just tell you, I've not been on. But here's one thing. I did come to the place where I just thought, this is under the blood. It's all under the, I've been cleansed. And the enemy cannot accuse me. Does that sound inviting to you? There's a new start needed. And finally, Jesus challenges Nicodemus to change paradigms. A paradigm is a way of thinking, understanding and operating. And he says to him, not just you need a new start, but then you need to enter into a new lifestyle, a whole new paradigm. You see, he says effectively, you need a new operating system. You don't just need an upgrade and a tweaking. You need a completely new operating system. You don't just add to your old life this new religious bit. It all needs changing. And Jesus here says to him, flesh gives birth to flesh. You've been living in flesh in your own strength. He says you've been thinking of earthly things. That was Nicodemus's previous paradigm. And Jesus says to him, that needs to change. You need to come into the rule of the Holy Spirit. You need to submit yourself to God. Live his way. And I know plenty of Christians, I'm sure you do, and we may be one of them, that have come into, they've had the new birth, but they've not come into a new operating system. And they're still trying to live the old way in their old strength. And they've not said, Jesus, I submit to everything. You're my Lord now. I'm going to let your Holy Spirit lead. Just to let you know, you won't have a clue where you're going. Why? Well, the, 
the wind blows where it wants. Okay? And you can't see it, and you don't know where God's going. But you've got to submit. That's a word for someone here this morning. You haven't got a clue what's going on. You have not got a clue what's going on. Well, the Spirit blows where he wants. Just make sure you're following his lead. Don't try and sort it out or put the tent pegs in that that you don't get carried away. Okay. So what do we do if we've come to that place where we see, I understand, Jesus, there is high invitation here for me, but there's a high challenge. How do we connect with that? Well, in this passage, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That lifting up there is is probably talking about the cross. I think that's talking about the cross. But there is a sense in which we are then to lift Jesus up as well, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. If the Son of Man be lifted up, he says he will draw men to him. Our job is to lift him up by proclaiming him, by inviting. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How do we connect with this Jesus? How do we connect with these events? By believing. Everyone who believes. Everyone who ever believes in him. That connects us with this Christ. It's faith that this was God incarnate, come to earth. I don't know whether I said it earlier in this sermon or whether I said it in the first service, but I saw, I saw this was true. I understood this. I came to have this faith that God was incarnate, that he came, he lived a perfect life and he died a death on a cross to take our punishment. He was being punished on the cross for your sin and my sin. He gave his life. He shed his blood. Why? Because the life is in the blood. And he gave his life for your life. Outside of Christ, we stand condemned. But he gave his life, a perfect life. He didn't deserve to be condemned. And God received that sacrifice. The father received the sacrifice of the son. But death couldn't hold him. He was raised to life. And now he reigns on high, waiting to come back. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Well, tell him. Tell him. Say to him, God, I give you my life. In fact, why don't you do it now? Let's just close our eyes as we finish. Maybe you've heard this this morning. And you're not sure you've ever committed in this way. You've been seeking and, and, and something's a light switched on this, this morning. And you're kind of going, I think this is true. Well, if you believe this, why don't, why don't you tell him? Why don't you say these words in your heart? You don't have to say it out loud. Just say in your heart, God, I see that you, Jesus, were God in the flesh. Thank you, Lord, for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your being raised from the dead. You're not dead. And Lord, I give you my life now. I say to you, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done, my sin. 
I see it's been against you. It's you I've been offending. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. May I start that new life. Holy Spirit, help me to submit to you and to follow your lead. God, may I follow your lead. I ask this for your glory. Amen. I think Nicodemus did that. My hunch is Nicodemus did that. Because it says he wasn't just a Christmas Christian. Because at Easter, it says, Later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Hallelujah. What a guy. What a good guy. I think Nicodemus here is honouring his saviour. He saw that the body of Jesus was precious. He may have been one of the last people to see the dead body of Jesus. He probably now is seeing the living God. Don't be like you two. Actually, I think you two have a real living faith. But they sung, didn't they? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe what you are looking for, what we are all looking for, is found in Jesus Christ. Amen.